if riding a bike didn't require activists? I think that'd be totally cool if we didn't have to organize and fight for the right to cross the street safely. How cool would it be if we didn't need law enforcement? How cool would it be if we didn't need emergency medical care? How cool would it be if we didn't need bike advocacy? How cool would it be if we didn't need all of these things in order to to conduct our lives simply, effectively, happily? Mm -hmm. How cool would it be if we didn't have to fight, fight, fight? I'm Nick Richard. This is Bike Talk. We're here with Stephen Box. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Nick. Good to see you. Great to see you. What are we talking about tonight? So um, last time we chatted, we chatted about the past. And uh, and so perhaps we could turn it around and talk about the future. future. Um, and I was just looking up um, – sorry, I'm on my phone. I was looking up – you know, uh, about 10 years ago, maybe nine years ago, um, when we were working on L.A.'s bike plan – Alex Thompson did a workshop where he had uh, the manifesto. And uh, the manifesto had, uh, he was calling out the cycling community with regards to 10 action items. And one of them was kind of interesting. It was to, um, it was to um, start early. And so one of his action items was for us to actually engage the next generation as not just cyclists, but as advocates, folks that were skilled and um, prepared to speak up, to uh, know their rights, to um, advocate for the things that were important to them, uh, whether it was you know global issues or something specific in their neighborhood, and um, which led to the you know the um, idea that we should you know be more organized collectively as a larger community, you know, citywide, and um, unfortunately it didn't happen, and lots of time's gone by, but, you know, when we talk about what the opportunity is for the cycling community today, I think that uh, the opportunity for us is to um, work together. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds trite. Oh, work together. (laughs) But I think that effective organizations uh, put the differences aside and focus on the larger common ground, and... Um, if we can draw a parallel for from the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, it's often said that Democrats fall in love and the Republicans fall in line and that the Democrats don't need enemies because they'll be too busy fighting over the little things that are different between all of the different groups. And I think that the tru- that's true for the cycling community. And so the opportunity for us is for um, confident city cyclers to partner with the savvy cyclists, which would be to partner with the uh, League of American Bicyclists and the vehicular cyclists. And right there, you've got four different groups Mm -hmm. that don't get along. They don't. Okay. And Uh, so on something as simple as the three-foot rule, you'll have no way, and then you'll have way, and then you'll have what, and then you'll have that one doesn't matter. And so the point is that we don't support, I think we don't, I think the opportunity for us is to start supporting each other's specific uh, projects and missions so that if I were to pick a street and say this one's near and dear to me and I'm going to start advocating and I would like the city to support me, I would like all the advocacy groups mm-hmm. um, 
you know, whether it's the, uh, you know, so regardless of the names, but I would like the support and that we start supporting each other rather than having internal debates over colon, semicolon, comma, mm-hmm. you know, uh, possible, probable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I think that some of the things that divide us uh, are what keep us from moving forward as a larger constituent organization. And the, so, so there's two opportunities here, uh, three actually. One is to um, grab a hold of what John Jones is doing John Jones III. He'll be here with us on uh, January 11th, by the way, with um, the Eastside Bike Club. And yeah. uh, But to do what John Jones III is doing and what you're doing, which is with the kids' bike. Yeah, my bike club. Yeah. And that we include in it not just uh, skills for riding, um, but also skills as far as advocating mm-hmm. and use that as an opportunity to teach them about civic engagement about community organizing, um, about advocating, regardless of what they end up advocating for, what better opportunity than to teach them to advocate for uh, improvements in their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is that um, as organizations, we should be supporting each other, active transportation organizations. We should be supporting each other rather than operating in silos, uh, operating you know, uh, with turf, um, operating with some sort of provincial, well, that's our issue and you're crossing over like you know we we need to break that down and the third thing is that yeah. i think the huge opportunity is for us to look at organizations that have nothing to do with active transportation and find out if there's a way to well they actually do have something to do with it but they're not dead on like it's not a i, I think sometimes with the cycling community it's like you know it's it's a it has to be cycling mm-hmm. as opposed to purposeful aging they have the same goals. They want communities that will work for everybody. Um, sustainability, resiliency, emergency preparedness. Like these are all organizations that have the same vested interest of neighborhoods that work and that work for everybody. And why aren't we aligning and looking for the common ground elements with all these organizations? Yeah. So, um, so moving forward... I know that folks have bemoaned, you know, what happened to the activists and why is it so difficult to get anything going. But in terms of opportunity, I think it's incumbent on us to be effective and not just noisy, um, to be goal-oriented and not just noisy, mm-hmm. um, and to really focus on metrics and outcomes and alliances and cooperation and strategies and organization as opposed to just lots of noisy. noisy. So that's that would be my take on what's the future look for us. Mm-hmm. And that's almost boring. Anyway. You think? Well, no, because you want to be noisy. You know, you want to be you want to throw things and and not throw things, but you want to. I want to argue, but I understand why people nitpick and 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 all that. Well, I think it's, that if you want to argue, that's cool. Um, I think that I also um, want to stop arguing. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I rem- there's a Monty Python skit where the guy goes in for an argument, and the guy. I know. Okay, keeps correct, you know, correcting, but that's not an argument. That's a contradiction. No, it's not. See, you did it again. That's a contradiction. No, I didn't. You're yeah. doing it. So I, I think that um, it's like watching, it's like watching um, law shows on TV. You know, they're they're really exciting, and and they, it doesn't show that you know six months of preparing papers went into that. Mm. You know, two minutes of 
of, of uh, glory in, in the courtroom in front of the judge. But I think a lot of advocacy is like that. A lot of work goes into it just for those few minutes before city council where you walk out with the resolution that you needed or wanted or, you know, that was the objective. But, you know, even there, I, I think that the successful advocacy has always been fun. It's always created community. It has always had a meaningful outcome. Um, it has always been rewarding. And I think those things allow us to ignore the petty stuff that's often, you know, in the last session we are talking about, um, you know, reasons that activists fade. And a lot of it's because if it's not fun and it's not building community and it's not meaningful and it's not rewarding and it isn't successful, then you start to focus on the fact that somebody called you a name. Boo-hoo. Poor me. I'm not getting the respect that I need. And by the way, you're not going to get the respect that you think you deserve um, if you enter the fray. It's going to feel personal. It's going to seem like there's division. And that's where the real opportunity for us is to look for the common ground and recognize that everybody wants to go home safely at the end of the day. Uh Um, And how can we look for some common ground and get out of some of the... um, animosity uh, that we experience, you know, in in the arena of advocacy or activism. Mm -hmm. And even there, you know, perhaps we should identify a little bit more uh, specifically who are the advocates and who are the activists. And perhaps, you know, aces in their places, perhaps there are some that are more supporters and some that are really willing to fight the fight and stand up and suffer the slings and arrows of the opponent. Mm-hmm. And there, I think that um, in you know there, there was a time when folks would uh, bristle at being called an advocate. I'm not an advocate. I'm a disruptor. I'm an activist and vice versa. I'm not an activist. I'm an advocate. And embrace the fact that everybody's needed. But within the cycling community, we have to get over that petty division of, well, I'm that's not my style. Well, it doesn't need to be. It's somebody's style, though, and there's a role for that particular um, style in the uh, in the movement. Mm-hmm. So when you broaden this outlook of, you know, we, we need to find common ground, do you eventually get to the point where you don't even have any opponents because there's always common ground to be had? Well, I think it's inherent in, a, as I said last session, I think it's inherent in our... Uh, in the human condition to um, be able to, you know, split hairs with others and find things to disagree with as well as things to agree on. But the, th- the fact of the matter is I think that it would be great if things got boring. Uh, a long time ago, I don't know how many years ago, man, do I sound like a guy in a rocking chair on a porch. Right. Parking day was huge. And once a year, third Thursday of, I don't know what it was, but you know, parking day, we would take over parking spaces. And I remember the first time it was huge. We planned for a year for parking day. And it was based on uh, rebar in San Francisco. They did a little art installation. They took a parking space and they put down AstroTurf and a bench and a tree. And then they watched to see what would happen. And some guy came out, sat in the bench and read a newspaper in this That's like great. gritty industrial neighborhood. And so they, uh, and so parking day was spawned. And the following year, folks around the world, you know, took parking spaces and built little parks to make a statement about public space. Right now, it's boring. Hmm. You know why? No. Because we have parking spaces that have been turned into parks all over the city, Hmm. and they're there all year long. There's now a design standard for the city of L.A. 
And so down on Spring Street, you'll see, oh, look, that, that restaurant's now using the two parking spaces in front of the restaurant, and it's got plants and the benches. And oh, yeah. Can they, they can do that? Yeah. And they, what, they just keep feeding the meter? No. It's, it's now part of the engineering s- standard. You can actually turn parking. So, so some of the businesses, so some neighborhoods now have parklets there. I mean, I've seen them in other cities, too, up in uh, Ventura. There's this great one outside this really popular restaurant, and it's more fun to sit out there on the street, you know, down by the beach than to sit inside, and it's right on the street. But the point is that Parking Day was really important in terms of confronting that and challenging that standard of, you know, streets are for cars, right? Well, why would streets be for the storage of public property? Why wouldn't they be for humans? And the police uh, in Culver City showed up in force one year. And they spent an hour looking through their code, and they could find nothing that said that you can't just sit in a parking space, you know, with AstroTurf. And uh, it was pretty funny because Jeremy had set up the uh, free speech zone. So he had a microphone and a stand, and folks were taking taking, uh, taking turns, you know, at the free speech mic. And uh, so there was activity going on. Like, people were joining in to the parking day, and it was actually drawing attention, and and folks were participating. So the police have responded. The city of Santa Monica responded with attempts to regulate until there was pushback. You just don't have the authority. You have nothing to rely on. It's just this assumption that what you're doing is wrong. And at a certain point, you know, folks just got over it. And now parking day is blasé. So how cool would it be if riding a bike didn't require activists? I think that'd be totally cool if we didn't have to organize and fight for the right to cross the street safely, um, do you think motorists go to meetings? Uh, we all, we I gotta, don't know. We got to get together. It's Thursday night. Let's get all the motorists together because, you know, they're, they're, they're slowing down our intersection. And the fact is, no, there's a presumption that streets are for uh, motor vehicles. And I think that it'd be cool to be bored by, um, by, by uh, definitions, you know, of, our street definitions. I think it'd be cool to be bored and, and, and just to have it be, it's like going to the Netherlands. Do you think there's a bike advocacy community right. in, uh, in Amsterdam? And people don't even call themselves cyclists. They're just people. Right. And so I think that'd be the ultimate. I, I think that, you know, I mean, that's how cool would it be if we didn't need law enforcement? How cool would it be if we didn't need, um, emergency medical care? How cool would it be if we didn't need, um, uh, bike advocacy. How cool would it be if we didn't need all of these things in order to to conduct our lives simply, um, you know, healthy, effectively, happily? Mm-hmm. How cool would it be if we didn't have to fight, fight, fight? Right. So, but this, so this is part of the, the the visioning here, like thinking about the how cool would it be if. Yeah. Uh, how cool would it be if? And and I think that uh, to get there, one one. You know, earlier uh, one of the one of the um, suggestions on where did all the act, at, activists go was that you know folks have they have families they have moved on, um, and I think that when we had nothing but time and energy, well, heck yeah, we could go on bike rides that lasted all night and howl at the moon and you know go to meetings that lasted for hours. But now that we've got a seven o'clock bedtime. <laughs> or else the next day is going to be really disrupted. Like now that we have some other obligations that are very specific in terms of the schedule and, and demands, it's important that we're really efficient. And I think that the uh, absolute 
imperative in efficiency is to find other folks that can help us. And that's not always just looking to the left and the right and finding two cyclists on either side, but looking to others that are doing the same good work. And that's where I think that getting the seniors over in Los Feliz or the purposeful aging at the county level and the state level or public health, you know, looking for other folks that are doing the same work and perhaps we could work together. I think the opportunity to work together, to organize and strategize, is uh, of paramount importance. Is that redundant? What? Paramount importance. I know you're a teacher. so is it? I mean, no, because you could have, wait, paramount? Yeah, maybe. Well, it's important. Yeah, I think it's 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 our greatest opportunity to be effective, and I think it's our greatest opportunity to um, um, have a meaningful impact and uh, a measurable result. So, what do you do when you approach a group that seems like you know it might be a little bit of a stretch to find that common ground, like purposeful aging? And not that it seems that way to you, but to somebody who doesn't know exactly what you're, do- you're trying to do. Well, I mean, I think that like uh, it's it, you have. Is mobility a part of their... Absolutely. Yeah. Here's the, first of all, purposeful aging, right? We're not approaching them. We are them. Mm. Mm. My boys are four and seven. And the one thing we have in common is we're all aging. Mm-hmm. So the largest demographic of all is folks that are aging. Right. So when you enter the room, we all have something in common. We're growing older as we speak. And the second thing we have in common is we have a vested interest in what the world is going to look like as we grow older. Mm-hmm. Now that we're talking about what, how should the world look like as we grow older, mm-hmm. the common ground is, well, it should work for everybody. My four-year-old, my seven-year-old, you, me, everyone in this room, it should work for everyone in the room. Can we agree on that? But the moment you mentioned the bicycle, it became about me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to hear anyone talk about themselves in terms of needs. But look for the thing that resonates in the room. And so with purposeful aging, um, is it it, uh, uh, transportation engineering that supports our most vulnerable? Who can be opposed to that? Mm -hmm. Signaling that accommodates the slowest. You know, Universal Studios, on the way over here, Universal Studios, you know, they have that walk now as opposed to trying to run across that huge street yeah. to get to Universal Studios, you can now take that um, elevated walk. You know, so you know, things... Um, people who've been on this show, have that has uh, outraged several people who've seen that. I, and I'm, I wasn't exactly clear on why. How did you feel about it? Well, I do remember the days when you had to run across the street. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know. I don't remember why. Can you tell me why people were upset about it, too? Well, I don't know. I think it was something like the street should be safe without having to build oh, yeah. a... You know, an elevated walkway. Sure. I mean, you know, when you go to the Hollywood Bowl, there's the tunnel under, you know. And yeah. uh, and so one might argue that there are times to separate, and one might argue that there's... So that's a philosophical that the street should work without the um, um, it's elevated... Sort of, it's bu- sort of like the argument against separated uh, bike lanes. Well, keep in mind that we have the ability to start splitting the hair, you know, splitting... You know, to, to, to move from the larger right. gestalt of does this work for everybody into, but they shouldn't be black and white. They should be colorful. They should, you know, like we start to screech things to a halt. And, and on that note, you know, it's, I think it's good to have a line. And I think it's good for folks to have um, principles and standards that they adhere to. And I think that we really do need someone that bangs away on bike parking. 
and I think we should have someone that bangs away on pedestrians getting a three-second bump on the um, crosswalk signals. Like, it's great to have people zero in on specifics and really hammer them, uh, but we can't be expected to hammer everything all the time everywhere. And so I think that we really do need specialists. We do need a Rowena specialist, a Temple specialist, a Sunset specialist. We really do need... Um, tech specialists that will get into the uh, formulas that we use for engineering. We do need legal specialists, and we also need fun specialists. You know, like Bike Summer was great. Well, who gets to be the fun specialist? I don't know. <laughs> Is that a job? No, that's a that's a. You know, when we went to um, city council in uh, it was in Van Nuys, and we went there on a uh, with a thirty foot petition. You know, for the um, Cyclist Bill of Rights, and uh, we did have a fun specialist, but um, we had a couple of fun specialists because for a lot of folks, they were there for the ride, they were there for the community, mm -hmm. they were there for the esprit de corps. They weren't going to speak in public, but they were there for uh, Pizza Paul, you know, the pizza afterwards. Uh -huh. um, the fun, yeah, maybe most people. Well, fun first. I mean, safety second. Wait. <laughs> I don't know. It depends who you guys. So, uh, so is there a uh, – can you point to some other stuff right now? I mean, I guess you're working with different groups now. Well, yes. I mean, I, um, I'm, you know, traveling around the city. Uh, I think that um, just – folks have alluded to the idea that the decline of advocacy in the city of L.A. was due to the – despair and despondency with what's going on in, in our world. And it's completely reasonable to think that we live in gloomy times. At the same time, I think we live in exciting times where um, exciting things are happening. And the recent election results, I think, speak to the fact that um, there's a lot of great stuff going on. And I am, you know, moving around the city and speaking to different groups on things in general about the fact that if nothing else, get involved in your local community, it's yours. So it's not yours to hunker down and hide and just hope that someone's going to come along and save the day. It's ours to own, and, and it's our responsibility to make sure that it becomes everything that we want it to become. And then to do that, you know, you've got to meet your neighbors, and someone has to run for office, flat out, straight up. So either run, mm -hmm. encourage someone to run, support someone that's running, do all of them. Donate, vote, um, make phone calls. Local. Local, local, local. Local, local, local. Like it starts local. on your street. But if you don't know your neighbors and you haven't encouraged them to vote and you're afraid to put up a, a yard sign or a bumper sticker, um, you know, and the greatest, the greatest compliment I think you can ever pay anybody is to say, I just love your leadership and think you'd make a great fill in the blank. I'll vote for you. I'll help you. I'll support you. Like if mm -hmm. you don't run – you know, find someone that's running. Right now, we have a campaign coming up. Um, well, we have neighborhood councils. The, the candidate filing period is open for um, central uh, area. But if you go to empowerla.org, you can find the schedule for uh, neighborhood council elections. And so for the next six months, there'll be elections around the city for neighborhood councils. And that's an easy, easy uh, entree opportunity for getting involved uh, with your local government and and working with your electeds and your um, the city departments, and um, they get a budget and they represent their community. You know, of that converse of that list, um, 
there's 99 neighborhood councils, and so uh, if you go to Empower LA, you can look at that list and see what the schedule is, and see uh, which one you which neighborhood council is yours. The other thing is that uh, Council District 12 just vacated Englander's uh, seat on the Los Angeles City Council, which means there's going to be a city council race. Hmm. And the fact of the matter is, there's what's, 50. What's, hmm? Where is that? Uh, West Valley, Northwest Valley. Okay. And um, so, you know, Northridge um, over to, I don't know what the cutoff, Northridge over to Silmar, uh, Northridge to Chatsworth. So it's a lot of equestrian uh, property. Okay. It's also a lot of densely populated um, neighborhoods with some really fast streets. They're just unbelievably huge. You could land aircraft on them. Uh-huh. Um, some beautiful neighborhoods that are so quiet and tucked away, and then two blocks over, all of a sudden, it's like th- this amazingly huge street. Huh. Um, so anyway, it's the Northwest uh, Valley. So that particular race uh, is opening up. I think at the beginning of the year, uh, the candidate filing will take place. And if the cycling community is worth its salt, mm-hmm. We'll get involved in identifying candidates that support active transportation, and we'll get involved in making sure that that an active transportation candidate gets elected. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And when does this happen, or is it happening? Right well, now? the filing will take place the first week of January. So we'll know in the first week of January who the candidates are. But we should be busy lifting someone up, not tearing them down. I think that I go back to the comment I made about um, the Democrats and the Republicans and how, you know, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line Mm -hmm. is that Democrats are so idealistic or progressives are sometimes so idealistic that we'll split split hairs and end up dividing ourselves rather than rallying around and lifting someone up. And so because we're so idealistic, we'll sometimes um, scrutinize a potential candidate to the point of absurdity, Mm -hmm. which means there's no one qualified to run, which means we completely pull ourselves out of the game by saying we just can't find anyone worth getting behind collectively as a group because we can always find something to disagree with or dis- distasteful or whatever the case may be. But in this particular case, there's a, there's a race coming up, and what would, what would, it, what would our candidate look like? Like, mm-hmm. why aren't we in the business of, you know, we spoke earlier about advocacy training. Why aren't we in the business of training candidates to run based on what's important to us? Why aren't we in the business of training electeds? And by the way, that's leadership is pushing for what we we want our representatives to to do, not hoping that they'll think of us if we're quiet and meek and hide and then Mm -hmm. experience malaise. But um, so that's a a, uh, race that's coming up at uh, Council District 12. Um, Even more uh, closer on the horizon is the fact that there's a uh, mobility bill of rights and two neighborhood councils have, um, I went to four neighborhood councils with a mobility bill of rights. Your, and, that's yours. Well, mobility belongs to all of us. <laughs> but didn't you write the mobility bill of rights? Uh, the the, um, bike, the, riders the bike riders collective, collective wrote it. Back in 2010 or something. No, 2010 was the cyclist bill of rights. Oh. And then in, t- in 2018 was the uh, mobility bill of rights. And uh, this whole Bill of Rights thing, I think, is going to take off. What do you think? Yeah. Well, it, it already <laughs> has, right? You've, you've been to what you're You know, it's, it's funny. You know, you, the average airline has a Bill of Rights, you know, for, for, for uh, 
for passengers, passengers. on a, um, uh, air, airline passengers as a bill of rights. You know, there's a bill of rights for consumers when they purchase large things like cars. There's a real estate bill. You know, I mean, it, the, the bill of rights, it's the term has been used because so many people realize that we have some basic rights regardless of the arena, except when it comes to mobility. Why are we acting like we don't have the right to travel safely and free of fear? And I even, I've had people argue that, well, I don't know if that's a right. And I, I responded with, it, it absolutely is, and I'm claiming it right now, so you can join me. Mm-hmm. We'll stand there on the curb, but I'm telling you, when I cross this street, I have the right to do it safely and free of fear, and, and I won't rest until we've resolved this. And it should be boring somewhere down the road. It should be a gimme, but, you know... Um, can you go? Can you go over this, the mobility bill of rights, real quick? Um, or do you want to not do that? Well, no. The, what's more important, uh, I think, is um, what's coming up with the bill of rights. Okay. So, a couple of neighborhood councils are taking it to the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition on January five. I believe that you'll be there. Yeah. Celebrity appearance. Well, if it's happening, I mean, I heard the <laughs> LACBC was pulling out, so I don't. I, and no, and we're not hearing from. And it's because you can't really get a response from that group. Well, I don't know. I can't speak to any okay. of that. But what I can tell you is that um, the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition is one of about a dozen coalitions and alliances. And um, so the there's a sustainability alliance. Oh. There's plan check. And these ha- are groups of so they're, they're they're representatives from neighborhood councils that get together either uh, because of geography or because of issues. So... With regard, so there's 99 neighborhood councils, and uh, there are about a dozen alliances and coalitions, and so the Los Angeles. Is there a bike one? Well, Nick, am I go- am I j- I'm going to let you talk. Go no, ahead. no. I, the right now is a pretty significant opportunity if you're willing to um, call it. Well, real quick, let me tell you what the coalitions are. There's the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition, which is uh, neighbor council representatives from around the city. And by the way, uh, if you, um, no, no matter where you are, just call up your neighborhood council president and find out if they have a representative. If they don't, ask to be appointed and ask to show up on January 5 so you can vote for the Mobility Bill of Rights. Okay. There's the Valley Alliance of Neighborhood Councils, which represents 34. There's the West Side Regional Alliance, which represents, I don't know, about 14. There's um, the uh, Harbor Alliance. There's South LA Alliance, there's uh, Alliance of River Communities, there's also the Sustainability Alliance, there's the um, Plan Check, which has to do with planning and, and uh, planning and land use issues. Um, and then there's, you know, some other organizations, you know, there's uh, homelessness, emergency preparedness. So there's opportunities to get together on specific topics. And why do they do that? Why to be effective? Because they just want to zero in on the topic. So it's one thing to go to a neighborhood council where you, you know, sit there for Uh, an entire agenda, which may have a lot of topics. Some folks like to be one topic and I'm just in for sustainability or I'm just in for emergency preparedness or I'm just in to work on homelessness. And that's totally cool that uh, you have people that want to specialize on a particular thing and and that's their superpower. Like I just happen to be the, you know, um, emergency preparedness person for my neighborhood. But to your question, is there a uh, Los Angeles... Uh, neighborhood council. bicycle council, and the answer is well. If you and I agree to start one, then there is. But I think that we should give credit to know. Joseph Bray Ali, who um, actually <laughs> he did. Yeah. Oh. So because <laughs> his definition of Lank is the Los Angeles Neighborhood Cycling Council. 
Is that everybody else's definition of lank? <laughs> no, it's his. But if you're game, you know, that means that there'd be two people. And if I joined you, there'd be three. Look, we've started a movement. We're already... What is lank also known Los as? Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition. And so Joseph said, well, as long as we've got the acronym, we might as well just go with Los Angeles Neighborhood Cycling Council. Right, yeah, let's do it. Do I have to be uh, in, a, in a neighborhood council? No. Really? How can I? I thought that's what that was. I thought if you're in a council coalition, then you're on a council. Well, maybe we're not a council coalition. Maybe we're just going to be the neighborhood cycling council. We live in a permissive, which means you're, you have permission to do things unless explicitly prohibited. So if folks wanted to organize a uh, cycling um, it's a great idea. council, there's absolutely no reason why they couldn't or shouldn't. Could we call this the the neighborhood cycling council? <laughs> like what we're doing right now? I'm all game for it. We should have like at least uh, stationary bikes here. Well, I got my real bike right here. Oh, then you can ride around the studio. Oh, yeah. You can't really ride it. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we've accomplished something tonight. Um, but but in, in all earnestness, to your point, there is absolutely nothing stopping um, anyone from, or, I mean, from organizing. Um, there are some official organizations, the Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee and the Los Angeles Pedestrian Advisory Committee are actually um, official organizations supported by the city of L.A. And the mayor appoints four and each council member repeats, uh, uh, appoints one. And so those are official. There's nothing wrong with folks just self-organizing in any Uh, way, shape, or form. And I think that sometimes we kind of – have you heard of the um, expression uh, trained fleas or warm frogs? No. There's um, a theory that uh, if you put a flea in a uh, jar and put a cover on it, the flea will jump and bang its head a few times and stop jumping – and then when you take the lid off, it won't jump out. Oh. Uh, the same is true with baby elephants. If you tie them up when they're young, they don't realize that as they grow, that they're growing in strength, and they, they don't pull their rope out oh, wow. as adults. And then with frogs, if you put them in um, hot water, they jump out. But if or you put them in cold water and warm it, yeah. eventually they just grow complacent. And I think that to some degree, there's some complacency. There's some trained flea. Learned powerlessness. What's that? Learned powerlessness. Yes, learned powerlessness um, to the human condition because we just start to accept the status quo and we forget that we do have the ability to jump out of the jar. I always wonder how a minority is able to keep down a huge majority. And there's a lot of ways, I guess. Right? I mean, isn't that? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the notion of... um, yeah, you know, we just accept the fact that um, we can't do anything unless we're officially appointed. We can't do anything unless we're officially elected. We can't do anything unless we're part of an official organization. We can't do anything without credentials. And I think that uh, okay, so I know we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here, but um, I think that one thing uh, indivisible, if we could learn from anybody, indivisible, just put out a new handbook. Okay. They're not training professionals, and they're not training um, advocacy organizations. They're training real people to be real people and to do real work Okay. without having to um, demonstrate their qualifications and apply and get credentialed. Just straight up, you're a human with 
priorities, concerns, needs, and desires, and a mission, and we're here to help you be effective and, and successful. And I think that that's a great lesson for us moving forward as advocates is that perhaps we don't need to be a card-carrying member of the, you know, fill-in-the-blank and with their league-certified and structure code number fill-in-the-blank and you know, like just straight up, like um, we all have the authority, permission, and power. Like we don't need anyone's, you know, we don't need a badge in order to um, uh, to stand up and, and to uh, take responsibility for the quality of life in our communities. And that's, I think, a real opportunity for us. So anyway, look forward to hearing how uh, Lank went. You're not going. Well, Home Depot has the uh, craft day <laughs> on the first Saturday of every yeah, month. Yeah, I'm going to try to patch in and, and get the whole thing recorded. <laughs> That'd be cool. Thank you, Stephen. Great right. talk. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 